Galleys carried only a week's worth of supplies. Short rations for the exhausted rowers were the norm rather than the exception. To cope with these severe limitations, Venetian galleys put in at night and kept their missions brief, three or four days at most. With their shallow drafts, they hugged the shore, deadly but surprisingly vulnerable craft lying in wait to strike. One of these ships was commanded by Marco Polo, a merchant who had returned from China three years earlier. At forty-four, he was among the oldest participants in the battle, and by far the best traveled. Marco headed into battle, bearing the title of Noble of Venice, financing his own ship and relying on experienced pilots to do the actual sailing. A global traveler since the age of seventeen, he felt most at home when abroad. Under siege, Marco Polo was in his element, confident and composed. Fighting in the Battle of Corsola was a way to surround himself with glory in the eyes of his fellow Venetians, who regarded his tales of China with skepticism. Andrea Dondolo led Marco and the other Venetians to the opposite side of Corsola, where his men disembarked and promptly went into hiding. During the interlude, Lambadoria had taken the measure of the enemy fleet and had reached the erroneous conclusion that the Venetians were simply delaying engagement in battle out of fear. But the next morning, Sunday, September 8th, the Venetians charged across Corsola toward the Genoese encampment. Eager to confront the Venetians at last, Doria led his men into an amphibious battle. On land, Arrows darkened the skies. At sea, galleys rammed and set fire to one another. As Doria surveyed the scene at the height of battle alongside his son Ottavio, a Venetian arrow struck the young man in the chest. Ottavio fell at his father's feet, suddenly lifeless. Others aboard the ship attempted to commiserate with Doria, but he refused their pity. Throw my son overboard into the deep sea, he ordered. What better resting place can we give him than this spot? With the wind at their backs, the Venetians, under Dondolo's leadership, seized the initiative and captured ten Genoese galleys. But in their enthusiasm, they ran their ships aground. After nine hours of combat, the exhausted Venetians found themselves overwhelmed. The Genoese captured eighty-four Venetian galleys, sinking some and burning others to the waterline. Only a handful of the once proud vessels escaped. The human toll proved even greater. In all, the Genoese forces captured 8,000 men, a breathtaking number at a time when the total population of Venice was scarcely 100,000. The defeat amounted to the worst setback that Venice had suffered during a decade of battles with Genoa. In disgrace, Andrea Dondolo lashed himself to his flagship's mast and beat his head against it until he died of a fractured skull, thus depriving the Genoese of the satisfaction of executing him. The scale of the victory astounded the Genoese forces, who marveled at their good fortune as they led the captured Venetian galleys to a grim reckoning in Genoa. Among the thousands of wretched captives, was Marco Polo, nobleman of Venice. For the next four weeks, 
the Genoese fleet with its captive vessels proceeded on a generally southerly course and then turned west under the heel of Italy and finally north toward Genoa where the vessels arrived on October 6, 1298. Marco Polo's galley was towed into the harbor stern first, her sail luffing in the breeze, her banners askew, and her commander in shackles. Further disgrace awaited Marco Polo on land, where, according to some accounts, he was immediately confined to the Palazzo di San Giorgio. Despite its grand name, the structure had grim associations for Venetians because it was built from stones the Genoese had shamelessly stolen from the Venetian consulate in Constantinople. The result was a vulgar monument to Genoese military superiority, complete with ornamental stone lions taken from the original.